0: Episode 72 of 211's Baseball Talk is here. We're going to talk all about the Blue Jays series in Cleveland, their two-game sweep of the Miami Marlins. We'll talk about injury disclosure, which has become a hot-button topic over the past week, and maybe even a little bit more. Stay tuned. 211's Baseball Talk, Episode 72 starts right after this. That was Balanced by Infinite walking you into episode 72 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. Joined beside me, as always, my dad, Chris. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I'm good, Dylan. I'm just fantastic. It's bright and squirrely. <laughs> and uh, yeah. A
0: lot, of time, a lot of times, for scheduling purposes, we don't uh, because we, we're both pretty busy. Uh, we record early in the mornings, and this is one of those days. Uh, and those are the episodes where you'll see the sun hit me uh, in different ways throughout the episode. Um, <laughs> there have been times where it cuts away from me, and the sun's hitting my face one way, and then it cuts back, and it's a completely different way. So, uh, if you see that in today's episode, although it is a bit of a gloomy day today, uh, that will be why. Is the COVID cut has begun to intensify here? Uh, still not able to get a haircut. Just <laughs> I, I cannot wait until the hairdressers open up. Uh, that will be a good day for me, and I'm sure many others across the province. Anyway, diving right into things, the Blue Jays went to Cleveland, and on Friday night they opened a series versus them in a in some pretty horrid weather conditions. Uh, Cleveland got things going in the first as Eddie Rosario singled home two versus Hyun Jin Ryu to make it two nothing early. After that, it was an offensive onslaught for the Jays. A Santiago Espinal ground out in the top of the second, made it two to one. I promise, there's real offense coming. Then Danny Jansen doubled home one more to tie things up and headed to the bottom of the second. In the third, Randall Grichuk doubled home a run to make it three to two. Then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. doubled home a run to make it four to two. That was followed by a Joe Panic rocket of a home run to extend the Jays' lead to six to two. In the top of the fifth, Lourdes Gurriel doubled home two more, then Panic singled to make it nine to two. A 6th inning double from Santiago Espinal made it 11-2, and while there were a few pitches thrown in the bottom of the 7th after a lengthy delay, the game was officially called Jays win 11-2. Game 2 was postponed to Sunday as Ross Stripling took the mound versus Aaron Savale in Game 1 of a doubleheader. A Bo force out in the third gave the Jays the first run of the game as they led 1-0. In the top of the fourth, Teosca Hernandez went yard to give the Jays a 2-0 advantage. Then, Rowdy Telez also put one out, a batter later, to make it 3-zip. In the bottom of the 5th, Ross Stripling allowed a homer to Canadian Josh Naylor, and it was 3-1. to one. In the 6th, Charlie Montoyo took Stripling out, despite his very efficient pitch count, and put Rafael Dolis in, in an effort to secure the win of that game. In the top of the 7th, a Vladisak fly made it 4-1. to one. Then Jordan Romano came in to get the save, his third of the year. In the second game, Stephen Matz was matched up against Sam Hentges. The Jays got on the board in the third inning with a bases-clearing Teoscar Hernandez double. Randall Gritchick then followed that up with a double to make it 4-0. In the bottom of the sixth, after a Santiago Espinal error, Stephen Matz unraveled. Rene Rivera doubled to make it 4-1. Then Ahmed Rosario singled home another. Jose Ramirez singled to make it 4-3. Then a double play ball off the bat of Harold Ramirez tied things up. In the top of the seventh against Emmanuel Classe, one of the toughest arms in the big leagues, with Jonathan Davis on, Marcus Simeon singled to make it 5-4 Jays. In the bottom of the seventh, though, Tatter Chatwood, still on the mound after coming in for Mats in the sixth inning, walked three straight with one out to load the bases. Then he walked another to tie the game, as Chatwood, who had problems with his command last year, those problems were reappearing uh, on the in the second half of that doubleheader. Anthony Castro came in with the bases loaded and one out to face Jose Ramirez, who very rarely strikes out. And Ramirez hit a fly ball to right. It was a sacrifice fly or a morbid line drive to right. A sacrifice fly to win the game. Jay split the doubleheader, but won the series. We'll talk about the bullpen fiasco in the uh, third game of the series, second of the doubleheader. uh, Once we talk about the Miami Marlins series as well. Uh, Putting that aside, two out of three from Cleveland isn't bad.
1: No, it's not bad. I mean, Cleveland, you should be sweeping right now. But other yeah. than that, you know, I mean, we'll take two out of three in any game, in any series that's uh, that's played, in, including in Cleveland. But, uh, you know, obviously that's a, that's a series they should have swept.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely it is. And uh, we'll talk about the reasons why they should have swept that later. I want to call everybody's attention to something. In last week's episode, we were predicting, and we'll do the same again, predicting the next two series for the Blue Jays. And I was hesitant to, to to say that this Cleveland series would be a breeze because I thought their pitching was just so good. Well, the Jays didn't have to face Jane Bieber, and you mentioned it. You said, Cleveland, I'm not worried about. The Jays should be able to beat Cleveland. I'm worried about Miami. Well, sure enough, the offense was not the problem
1: against Cleveland. So I wanted to give you a little shout out for your prediction there. <laughs> well thanks that's that's good uh unfortunately i didn't know what would happen with chatwood but uh, (laughs) yeah i don't uh, think anybody did no but well i mean you just have to have to look to last year to find out that was the wrong move but um you know i mean otherwise yeah the offense was good i mean it was good that uh that series and and even in miami which i know we're going to talk about but um Yeah, no, I I thought that it would be a good series, a well-played series for the Blue Jays uh, in Cleveland, for the most part it was. Yeah, no, a really good series for the Jays, taking two out of three on the road is always nice. Uh, On Tuesday, the
0: Jays were back in Buffalo for their Salem Field opener. Uh, Robbie Ray took the hill versus Sandy Alcantara. The Jays got on the board first with a three-run Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run in the uh, third inning, I believe, and the crowd erupted. Miami responded in the top of the fifth as Starling Marte doubled home a run to make it 3-1. to In the bottom of that inning, a Teoscar Hernandez ground out made it 4-1 to Jays. In the bottom of the eighth, Lourdes Guriel Jr. destroyed a ball to make it 5-1, to uh, and that ball would have hit the highway if it had not been for the screen. After loading the bases in the ninth, Jordan Romano was able to record a strikeout as the Jays took the opener at Salem Field. Wednesday, Alec Manoa took the hill versus Pablo Lopez. The Marlins got going in the top of the second with a Corey Dickerson home run to center field. The Jays clap back with a Randall Gritchick homer in the bottom half, tying things up. However, in the third, after a single that hit Manoa by Devers, Jazz Chisholm went deep to the opposite field to make it three to one. Then, two batters later, Jesus Aguilar yanked a good fastball out to get it up to to 4-1 Marlins. In the bottom of the fourth, Handsome Randy. Randall Gritchick hit one out out onto the highway to make it a two-run game. Starting Marte went yard in the seventh, and the Marlins extended their lead, lowering the Jays' chances to come back. In the bottom of the seventh, a Teoscar Fielder's choice scored a run to make it 5-3. In the ninth, Reese McGuire got on with a single. Marcus Simeon singled, and that prompted Charlie Montoya to pinch run with Jonathan Davis for McGuire. Bobochet stepped up to the plate and took a pitch, probably six inches above the zone, down the right field line for a game tying triple. The Marlins intentionally walked Laddie and Teoscar to pitch to Grichik, who had two homers already. And he grabbed it into a fielder's choice that brought up Joe panic. And he flew a ball into center that Marte knew he wouldn't be able to throw Vladdy out on. So he kind of just let it drop. It was scored a sacrifice fly weird play to end the game and the Jays won six to five, uh, after that tough loss in Cleveland, a great bounce back for the blue Jays in the two against the Marlins.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a good bounce back. Uh, obviously Vladdy, um, you know, that was great to see him get his first four hit, uh, game of his career, which was awesome. Uh, and you know, I think the Marlins, uh, I didn't think they would be an overly difficult opponent, but I I thought they'd be more difficult than Cleveland. Uh, I did not see that in this very short series, but uh, I mean, except for even in game two, but I mean, that's just because Manoa couldn't keep the ball in the ballpark. Um, But other than that, you know, everything else was, uh, was good. Yeah, no, the Jays were awesome uh, uh,
0: against the Marlins. And you talked about Manoa. We'll get into that in, in a couple of topics here um but first let's talk let's go back to the cleveland series we got a few things to discuss there um Sunday's afternoon game, uh, or I guess they're both in the afternoon, the, the, the second game of that double header, uh, Tatter Chatwood was brought in the sixth inning to get out of a jam, seemed to maybe not have his best command in that sixth inning, but was able to get out of it after allowing a run or two uh, that was inherited from Steven Nats. Um, and then they, they left him in for the seventh, which I have no problem with because Chatwood's pitched two innings before uh, everything was good. Um, and then he, started to walk guys and, and, and with a guy like Chatwood who has had command issues in the past, you should probably start doing something the moment he walks the first batter, but I believe Charlie Montoya waited until the second or third batter. And, and listen, I see a lot of people blaming Charlie Montoya in this situation. you got to put a little bit of the blame on Pete Walker as well, because Pete Walker is advising Charlie on who to go to in the bullpen. And, and he's the one inevitably making that call to get a guy warming up. So, a lot of blame was on Charlie Montoyo, and I agree with it, but I do think that some of the blame needs to go on to Pete Walker. Um, they leave Chatwood in probably too long. He walks home a run. They bring in Anthony Castro to face Jose Ramirez. Castro is mainly a strikeout pitcher. Uh, Jose Ramirez does not strike out, does not strike out. Yeah. Like This guy has ridiculously low strikeout numbers. He fought off some really good pitches. Eventually Castro got an out, but it just so happened that there was a runner at third who could easily tag up and it was a walk-off sack fly for Cleveland. Um, a lot of people were pointing to that first game of the doubleheaders, the reason that the Jays got into that situation. Uh, when Montoya went to Dolise and Romano in relief of Ross Stripling, who had a pretty good pitch count. What are your thoughts on that theory? And the bullpen know. management, sorry, in the second game, the whole, the whole doubleheader.
1: Yeah, well, the Blue Jays' bullpen management has been terrible for the last few uh, last few series. Something needs to give there. Um, you know, obviously, I've been pretty vocal in the last couple of episodes about my thoughts on Charlie Montoya's bullpen management. It's no different in Cleveland. They just happened to win a couple of those. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, now you got, you're got you down to Chatwood, who has to be in there for longer than he should be. And then you bring in a guy who is a strikeout pitcher. He's the guy who doesn't strike out. I don't know who was reading the stat sheets for that move, but uh, (laughs) I think that was more of an
0: emergency move because they were like, "Okay, Chatwood can't do this anymore. Let's bring Castro in. Hopefully he can. I think that was because we're in such a bad spot. We've got to bring somebody in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, it wasn't an impressive uh, finish to that series. Uh, Again, a bullpen management issue Uh, that's going to have to be corrected if this is going to be a playoff team.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I uh, I think it will be eventually. I think with a lot of injuries and stuff, Montoya is still trying to find out who he can rely on. And, and people mentioned that in the first game, um, maybe he shouldn't have gone to Deleys and Romano. And then some people were angry about the fact that Romano didn't throw in both games yeah. that day, which I thought was ridiculous uh, yeah. because this guy's pumping 100 miles an hour and he threw, I, it was a pretty large pitch count. I think he threw like 20 pitches, which for a closer is quite a bit. And I thought that was ridiculous criticism that uh, they were upset that Romano didn't uh, pitch in both games. I have no problem with the way Charlie Montoya managed his bullpen in the first game. He managed it to win the game. He felt after Ross Stripling gave up a home run in the fifth inning to Josh Naylor, that Stripling was starting to lose that effect that he had early on the Cleveland batters a little bit. I Love the move. I I, I can't say I love it in hindsight, but I like the move. I understand the move to go to Dolis and then to go to Romano. Maybe ideally you'd like to keep one of them uh, for the second game, but Charlie Montoya wanted to win the game. He didn't care about the second game that was in the back of his mind because he can't see into the future. If he saves Jordan Romano... If for that second game and the Jays are down seven to seven to three in the seventh inning of that second game, they're not using Jordan Romano. He can't see into the, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a time machine that tells him, okay, in game two, we're going to be winning. I should keep Jordan Romano for that second game. Obviously with a good team, you always have a chance to win. And the Jays have a good team. They do. So you always have a shot to win the game, but Charlie Montoyo could not look into his, his magic crystal ball and say, we're going to need Romano for game two. I have to save him. No, he could not. He won game one. His job is to help the Jays win games as the, the, as the manager. He managed to win the first game. He did a great job of that. The second game. Chatwood was losing his command. Is the second game Charlie Montoyo's fault? Absolutely it is. Maybe Pete Walker should some of that blame as well. But Charlie Montoyo is mainly to blame for the performance, for the loss in that second game, because he should have gone to the bullpen way earlier, and he didn't. Uh, He didn't have Anthony Castro up very quickly when Chatwood was starting to, to, to have some problems. And you mentioned that Chatwood was going longer than he should have. He's gone two innings before this season, and he's a former starter as well. Plus, he's been arguably the Blue Jays' best reliever uh, up for the first for the first month and a half of the season, uh, and then he started to lose it a little bit, and, and Charlie Montoyo said that he wanted to get chat with his confidence back, which I disagree with. If you're trying to win the game, you doesn't matter about a guy's confidence. You bring the best pitcher in, and he didn't do that, and he didn't warm up Castro in time, and so game two, yes, Charlie Montoyo's fault. Game one, there should be nothing thrown at Charlie Montoyo for that, in my opinion. I understand that, you would have put Romano in if it was three to one uh, and then it became four to one. So you put Castro in. I disagree. A save situation is a save situation. And Jordan Romano is your closer. I think everybody's decided that at this point, Jordan Romano is the closer for this team. So I think that I like the move in the first game to go to Romano and Dolis to secure the victory. I think that's what Charlie Montoya was doing. So I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with how we manage it in game two.
1: Yeah, well, I think Charlie would just needed to know how much chat, chat would could chat if chat would could chat would.
0: <laughs> All right. I figured there was going to be a legitimate <laughs> take when I threw it back to you. Um, moving on. Uh, on Friday, Joe Panic had a really good game and he had a pretty good series in Cleveland. Um, where there's this debate is is Joe Panic, who's on a one year deal versus Santiago Espinal, who's likely going to be the Joe Panic of the future for the Blue Jays. When George Springer comes back, when everybody's healthy, you keep Panic on the team for now, right?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, panic is, is helping, you know, it's like putting on a bandaid that's half ripped off already, but <laughs> otherwise it's, you know, you know, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But, uh, but I think, yeah, for now um, I'd rather see Espinol stay there. Um, but, uh, but I mean, you know, the veteran presence of panic certainly helps.
0: Yeah, Panic's a veteran, but I think he's also right now probably a little bit better of a hitter than Santiago Espinal is and uh, probably a better defender. I'm not sure. I And I guess, like, I want to see Espinal get a chance. He's a younger guy, and I think he'll be with the Jays in the long run. But I think that Panic, if they're going to win now, I think Panic serves them best at the present moment. Um, so so we'll see what they decide to do. I mean, it's a tough decision because they're two uh, guys who are very similar in their skill sets. Um espinal obviously younger less big league experience uh so we'll see where where they go with that uh moving on to alec manoa he had a bit of a rough game on uh wednesday uh i believe he allowed four runs and three home runs in his outing he didn't really seem to have his command he was missing in the strike zone quite a bit and that is what led to uh his struggles um what were your thoughts on manoa's performance and how does he bounce back
1: hashtag bust okay that's enough no (laughs) No, <laughs> no, I think it was a sophomore slump. I think, uh, you know, he, he came back expecting to be dominant like he was in New York. And that always is a recipe for disaster. But I think he'll learn from that. Um, and again, I don't put too much stock in the second start other than it was awful. Um, you know, and, and it's only awful because you can't give up that many home runs in a game. That is just that is just awful. Um, he wasn't giving up a lot of hits. You know, he had his strikeouts there every once in a while. Um, so I think there were flashes of New York Manoa, um, but he certainly, uh, certainly served it up on the platter for the Miami Marlins for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a great outing for Alec Manoa. And I'm, I'm kind of, uh, happy and relieved that he's struggling now. Uh, and if he does have more starts where he struggles, so be it, because I don't think the Jays are winning a World Series this year. I think next year they have a legitimate shot, and I would rather see him struggle at the big league level now and this year than next year when the Jays are contending for a World Series. And they very well could be with a couple more moves at the deadline, but uh, I, I I, think Manoa is going to struggle obviously at the big league level. It happens to everybody, and I'm glad that it's happening early. He can, he can, he can look at that and be like, okay, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I did in the minor leagues that I can't do in the big leagues because these are more talented hitters and the miami marlins have one of the worst offenses in baseball but they're still major league hitters uh jazz is a great prospect who's making a mark for the marlins jesus aguilar was near the league lead in home runs a couple of years ago so these are big league hitters and they do have a big league eye they do have a big league bat so i think that uh that the the, the difficulties for Manoa were because he might have been trying to throw to these guys as if they were minor leaguers. And and part of that falls on Reese McGuire as well, um, because uh, Manoa likes to say, and he said it after his first start, not after the second one, though, because he didn't want to throw the blame on his catcher. But he said, it's 50-50 between me and the catcher. The catcher calls the pitches. He sets up where he wants the pitch to go. And uh, I think that, that part of that responsibility is Reese McGuire. I'm interested to see if Danny Jansen catches Manoa's next start. But obviously, everybody's going to struggle at the big league level, so I'm not too concerned
1: about it. No, I think uh, you're going to see some struggles. What I'm curious to see is if he bounces back better than Nate Pearson, not to compare the two, but yeah. Nate Pearson doesn't handle the struggles very, very well. Um, he has to learn that mentally, especially at the major league level. And I think he's, he's working on that, but he just can't stay healthy enough to work on it. Um but I think you'll see Manoa, you know, probably I think he's got more mental resilience. He reminds me of a much more subdued Strowman, but still a Strowman nonetheless, and that he's got that you can't take this away from me kind of attitude, which is good. Um, and so, you know, Strowman had his struggles too. We Early going, you know, he it was, it was year two and year three where he was really starting to get dominant, even after his injury. Uh, injury updates,
0: Ryan Barucki, I believe I saw he's throwing, uh, but he's not exactly close. George Springer is running um, and uh, hopefully he'll have a rehab assignment sometime soon, but he's taking his time. He does not want to rush this and have to fall on the injured list again after playing four games uh, Kevin Biggio with his neck injury is apparently not close. Everybody kind of thought he was getting there. Nope. Not close at all. Uh, neither are Julian Merriweather and Thomas hatch. So despite hatch being on a rehab assignment, um, he is a, reportedly not close and that could be why, uh, they didn't call hatch up. They didn't wait to start and call hatch up and they elected to go with Manoa for the game against the Yankees. Uh, disappointed that Merryweather's not close. Hopefully he figures uh, his injury troubles out soon and he's able to contribute to the big league club once again all right two best and the worst for this week who
1: is your best hitter for the past week in blue jays baseball well i you know obviously you would call it vladdy um but we keep saying vladdy (laughs) like it's just (laughs) but i mean how do you not give it to him with his first three hit game of his four or four hit game of, of his career uh so i gotta give it to vladdy i feel bad giving it to vladdy because i continue to give it to vladdy but i mean that's just the season he's having right now i mean how do you not and and you know there's been some good performances out there don't get me wrong but i mean he continues to run circles around everybody else and so um you know again this week i have to give to vladdy it seems like the easy go-to but really the reality is that's who deserves it most
0: yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And Marcus Simeon won the uh, American League Player of the Month. So shout out to Marcus Simeon. Just to be different, I'll go with Lourdes Gurriel. I think he's turning a corner. Uh, he struggled early on, but I think he's starting to find his game a little bit now, and that's been a pleasant sight to see. Because if he can contribute to this Blue Jays offense, it just deepens that lineup, and uh, that's awesome for the Jays and their playoff push. Um, who is your best pitcher from the past week in Blue Jays baseball?
1: All right, this week I'm going to go with uh, with Ross. The Moss Stripling. That was my, I don't know that if that's my, his nickname. I think it's Chicken Strip, not Ross the Moss. <laughs> no, he's not mossy. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have to say, like you know, he has come into a role where he's not—he's you know been the starter, but but going this long relief and doing so well with it has been pretty impressive for him. Um, and so, to be a little different, since you were different with the hitters, I'm going to do—I'm uh, going to go with. <laughs> Rod Stripling. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you
0: for that. Uh, I'm going to go with Robbie Ray. He had a very good outing against the Marlins and take it for whatever, for what it is. I mean, it's the Miami Marlins, right? I mean, who knows how they hit, but Ray had a very good outing, six innings, one run ball uh, pitched very well, could have probably gone into the seventh, but his pitch count was a little elevated and he didn't seem to have his best, best stuff in that game. So I'm going to go with Robbie Ray for my best, Uh, pitcher who is your worst overall player pitcher or hitter for the past week
1: uh i'm gonna have to say uh uh, i don't know i don't know who was really that bad i mean everybody you know everybody's been pretty average um you know you might say reese mcguire was bad but uh clutch base hit in the ninth though in that uh, finale against the marlins if he didn't get on who knows if that rally happens yeah that's true so but that's what i'm saying like I, I find that this week there wasn't really anybody you could you could put out there as bad i mean again i've already done montoyo as a as a throw in <laughs> uh as a throw in worst of the week even though he's not a player i'm not going to do that to him again although i feel it um so player wise i don't i don't actually have one i'm going to actually abstain from judgment this week on a uh, worst player
0: Wow. So, uh, no worst for you. I'm going to have a worst, uh, Tyler Chatwood bad outing against Cleveland. That was really bad. Um, and he, I guess
1: that's true. <laughs> I, but I guess I kind of expect that from Chatwood. So I'm not really <laughs> Well, sure Chatwood that.
0: was so good for the first month and a half of the season. And then he's just lost it in his past few outings, And that was bad for, for, for Chatwood and for the Blue Jays, who I think depend on Chatwood quite a bit because David Phelps is hurt. Julian Merriweather is hurt. Phelps isn't coming back. We hope Meri- Merriweather will, but who knows at this point. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what's happening over there. But I mean, uh, Chat- Chatwood is, is the worst. Of the week. He allowed two runs to score. I think two inherited runners when Steven Matz was lifted in the sixth inning and then he allowed uh, a, the game tying run and the run that scored to win it was charged to him as well. So Tatter Chatwood, not a great performance. Uh, for the Blue Jays on Sunday and he is my worst of the week All right, moving on uh, to a topic that's more league wide and that is injury disclosure from managers Uh, we've seen a lot of Blue Jays fans and Blue Jays reporters complain about Charlie Montoyo's lack of transparency when it comes to injuries saying that George Springer was just fatigued and then he was on the injured list Uh, that Ryan Barucki was just sore and then he's on the injured list that these guys are just tired or sore they need a couple days AJ Cole was it was sore yesterday and uh or yesterday being wednesday the time of this recording and then he was placed on the injured list a couple hours after that um but the jays aren't the only ones who experienced that from their manager as joe girardi does a similar thing with the uh philadelphia phillies he said bryce harper will be available to pinch hit he's just dealing with a little something right now and then the next day harper was placed on the injured list um Aaron Boone often does the same with the New York Yankees. He says, "Oh, you know, they'll be fine. They're just taking a day, and then boom, on the injured list." So it seems to be something that that's going on around baseball. I wanted to get your take on this because the argument can be made that the the media and and the public deserve transparency from their team, uh, and and the, when it comes to injury disclosure. But the other side that was being argued that I hadn't thought of before, and that could just be my ignorance to it but i i I heard somebody say that it's it's strategic for the manager not to uh say that a guy is not available or that the guy is hurt because if if there's a team that's that's playing the phillies and bryce harper is available on the bench then they start game planning for whether harper gets brought in versus harper sitting out uh for the blue jays if george springer is standing on that bench and is available to pinch hit then there's a team that's going to be game planning for George Springer to come in and pinch hit. And they don't want to bring maybe a lefty in to face a lefty because, or they're hesitant to bring in a lefty because they know that Springer can come in and pinch hit that's big. Right. And so uh, I understand that side of it. I would love to see injuries disclosed because I think it's, it's, it's it's information that, that as fans, we want to know, but I understand the side of, of not wanting to disclose it. What are your thoughts on it?
1: No, I think you hit the nail on the head with the second option. I think that's exactly what's happening. Um, And I don't know that fans deserve full disclosure on it. I I mean, you know, I guess if you're buying tickets, maybe, you know, if you were buying a ticket just to come see Springer and, and you think there's even a hope he could come in to be a pinch hitter and that's why you bought your ticket, then fine. That's frustrating. Um, But You know, from a from a competitive perspective, you know certainly the second point you just made is a very valid one, and one that I think that those managers are all using, including Montoyo. The Jays had more of a problem with this with the front office a couple of years ago, um, where even the front office wasn't disclosing injuries. Um, We don't see that now. Not that we get as much access to the front office during COVID times, anyway, but. Uh, I don't know that you would still see that now. I think they leave that in Montoya's hands for those very reasons. You know, let's see if there's a competitive advantage to worrying that Springer may come in and pinch hit. There probably is. To worrying that maybe Romano is available if he's tweaked something. There is, because people are going to plan their hitters, they're going to plan their lineups, they're going to plan their pitching out based on the fact that there's potential for one of your best players to still come in, even if you know in your heart that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I was very much on the side of, oh, my God, tell us if this player is hurt. But when the Jays were in Oakland and and when this argument was brought up to me, then I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, when the Jays were in Oakland and Springer was first hurt after that Atlanta series, they couldn't get anybody up because of COVID protocols. So they left Springer on the bench for two games and the A's had to fear George Springer coming in as a pinch hitter, had to plan their hitters around George Springer coming in, as, or plan their pitchers, sorry, around George Springer coming in as a pinch hitter. So that provided a huge advantage to Charlie Montoyo versus saying, oh, well, uh, we've got this guy who is, available on the bench and George Springer is not, well, then they're going to, then they're going to be way less hesitant to say, okay, we're going to go to the lefty here to face Joe Panic, for example. Right. So I, I understand the, the competitive advantage and I would like to know because I'm a passionate fan. And I think a lot of people are passionate fans. And the thing is, if, if there is a competitive advantage and if that has been decided, then we need people to stop getting angry when managers don't disclose an injury. Because people get furious. They're like, oh, Charlie Montoyo, what are you doing? This is, this is terrible. Well, if Charlie Montoyo feels like his team is better off by saying that Jordan Romano is available in the bullpen or that George Springer is available off the bench, but they're not because the team is scared of those players and they have to game plan around those players, that's, that, that is a competitive advantage. And you should let the Blue Jays have that. You don't need to know information that much that you can't, that you can't accept Charlie Montoya saying, oh, he's sore, but he's available to come in and pitch. So I, I completely understand the competitive uh, aspect of that, and I don't disagree with it at all. And I think that it is it has opened my mind to that side of things because as, as a passionate fan, as a guy who hosts a podcast, it's nice to know before we bash somebody like, oh, this guy's had a, had a terrible week to know that he's hurt, that he's, that he's not playing well because he's hurt. Right, yeah. but if that provides a competitive advantage to the Blue Jays, uh, to whatever team may use that, I get it. I really do, and uh, I for one will stop complaining. And I think that has to stop uh, <laughs> around the league because people are making jokes about Montoyo, you know, saying this guy is sore, um, and then oh, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Like I get it; it's funny to an extent because he said that the Springer was tired, and then he got put on the injury list and still hasn't come back. But there's that competitive as- aspect to it that I feel like people overlook. And they shouldn't be doing that. So uh, I don't mind the the competitive balance. Non-injury disclosure to the media and the fans. That concludes episode 72 of 211 Baseball Talk. We thank you very much for tuning in. And we'll talk to you again next week with another great episode.